For the past several years, uh, we've been looking at women in the Word, women in the Bible, on Mother's Day. Uh, we've looked at the life of Priscilla as she helped t- teach and encourage the Apostle Paul. We looked at Eunice and Lois, who were instrumental in the life of Timothy in raising him up as a godly young man, ready to preach the Word. And this morning, we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. If you have your Bible with you or you want to grab one in the pew in front of you, you can turn to Genesis 2, and we're going to look at the life of Eve. She was the first woman, the first wife, the very first mother. There are a lot of firsts in her life, but there are also a lot of important lessons that we can learn from Eve, and especially some takeaways for women on Mother's Day, but there are things that we can all be learning. We're primarily going to be in those first couple of chapters of Genesis, but we're also going to look at a few New Testament passages as well. Would you bow with me in prayer as we prepare to read God's Word? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for a day that we can honor mothers as you've commanded us in your Word. Thank you for the women you've provided in our lives that have led us and guided us and encouraged us I ask your blessing on them, those that are here and those that aren't with us. Lord, thank you for the ones that have gone on before us and have left a a place in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for family members that are even grieving today. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come together on this beautiful, sunny spring day into your house to worship you, to sing songs of praise, and to look into your word. Thank you, God, for giving us instruction, for guidance, for insights into your character, and for the very reasons that we are here as men and women on this earth. Thank you for your word, and I pray that you would give us open ears and open eyes as we listen and read your word this morning. Help us to not go away unchanged, but for your word to permeate into our hearts. Pray for soft hearts this morning that we would be ready to change and to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So we have Eve, the first woman. I'm going to briefly summarize Genesis chapters 1 and 2 for you. You know, the beginning of life as we know it. So in a minute or less, I'm going to tell you everything there is to know about Genesis, the origins. If you've been around our church for a while, you may remember that we had a Genesis Origins sermon series, and so if you want to go back and listen to some of those, you can find them on our website. But after creating the universe, after creating our galaxy, after filling it with planets and filling this particular planet with life, God said, let us create mankind in our image, after our likeness. So male and female, he created them. Our gender was designed and assigned by God, the Creator. And the truth is, today, no matter how someone's personal preferences may feel, we've been determined who we are by God. And unfortunately, people are confused about this. And we, we care about folks that are struggling. God cares about them too. But God's Word has the answers, and God's Word has truth. So up until this point, all of creation, God spoke into existence. Let there be light. 
Let there be lights in the heavens. Let the waters swarm with living creatures. And let the earth bring forth all kinds of living creatures according to their kinds. But when God created people, it was something different. It was personal. The Bible says that the Lord formed the man from the dust of the earth. And then he breathed life into him. People are not evolved animals. We're uniquely created by God with a body and an eternal soul. And this first man was called Adam, which actually means the man. And he was placed in a garden. The Bible tells us it was called Eden. And everything beautiful and amazing was in this garden. Everything he needed. And even before the fall, God said, I want you to work this garden to keep it. So we know that Our labors are not a result of the curse. It's not part of sin. It's the way we're designed. We're designed to make something, to create something, to take care of things. And the Bible tells us that God brought all of the animals to Adam. All of them walked up two by twos, Mr. and Mrs. And Adam named them all. And after this probably long day of thinking of names for all of the animals... Adam realized, there's no one like me. There's no one like me. There's no mate suitable for me. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. This is the first anesthesia, the first surgery. And I'm sure Adam was glad that he was asleep for this process. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, he fashioned, he formed into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God created the first woman out of living flesh. This is something that he had not done before in any other way, in a different way than the way he created the man. God refined dirt, the dust of the earth, into a man, but then he double refined human flesh into a woman. She was the final masterpiece of God's glorious creation, and she must have been amazing in every aspect. But notice, there's no description here of her outer beauty, her perfection. God and Adam were much more interested in her as a person. That's something that not only our our culture today, but the past cultures have had a hyper-elevated attention on physical appearance, especially for women. And so many women, young women, don't feel like they're worthy. They feel like they're something less than they should be. But God's word cares about inward beauty. 
And over and over again, God says, look at the inside of a person. Look at their hearts, their soul. That's what God does, and that's what we should do too. But when Adam awoke from his sleep, God brought the woman to him, and he burst out into poetry. She really wowed him. This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam was saying, at last, there's someone like me. Woman, you are the missing part of me. You complete me. Guys, when was the last time you wrote poetry for your wife? It's been a few years for me. I apologize, Cindy. Don't just sign a card. Say something from your heart. Let her know how much you still love her. Nothing's happening. Well, as I read this scripture and thought about Adam saying, at last, this woman is here for me, it made me think of this song. Who knows who made this song famous? Etta James in 1961. It was actually written in 1941, and Glenn Miller recorded it and made it famous in his day as an instrumental piece until Etta James came along. And we were supposed to have audio to go along with this, but you know what it sounds like in the back of your head, right? I'm not going to sing it. I'm not Etta James. At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over, and life is like a song. At last, a woman, the woman that God prepared for me. And men, those of you that have been blessed with a good woman, make sure you not only thank God, but you thank her. So let's look at God's design for women. There's three main points. If you like taking notes, there's a blank sheet in your bulletin that you can fill in some of these things. First of all, we see there was a fundamental equality with man. As you hear these things, you may say, that doesn't sound old-fashioned. That doesn't sound like the Bible. Haven't men been in charge of everything for all these years? Haven't men been the top? Well, let's see what God's Word has to say about it. Eve shared the same essential nature as Adam. She was literally taken out of him. She was in no way an inferior person made merely to serve him. She was his spiritual counterpart, his intellectual co-equal, and the perfect mate, and companion. Puritan author Matthew Henry was known for his exhaustive commentary. I think that's probably one of the first books I had on my library as a young man. And Matthew Henry, the Puritan, said this, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be beloved. If the arm is meant to protect the body, then the ribs are made to protect the heart. And there's one of those unique distinctions between men and women. God designed men, in a sense, to be the protectors and women to be the protectors of the heart. And if you think about your mom or your grandma, 
that's a great role that they play. That a lot of men just miss the whole compassion, miss the whole, is something wrong? We just kind of roll along as, as if everything's fine. And women have this beautiful gift of seeing people's hearts. Moms and grandmas, we need you to love and protect the hearts of our children, our grandchildren. The things that dads miss, you're there to provide. So there's a fundamental equality with man between Adam and Eve. There's also an essential unity in marriage. Jesus spoke about Eve's creation in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 19. And this is a passage that I often read at weddings. I'll have the opportunity to do that at the end of this month as I head down to Indiana for a wedding of one of the girls in my youth group. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. The Pharisees came up to him asking about divorce and asking when a marriage can be legally ended. And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In marriage, the bride and the groom become one flesh again, just as Adam and Eve were taken from the same flesh, just as they were created. And the Bible says, what God has joined together in marriage, let no one separate. Unity in marriage is not meant to be undone. That's not God's design. So there's a unity, a coming together of becoming one in marriage. And then we see the meaning of marriage itself. Marriage is not merely a physical or a legal or even an economic union. It's a union of heart and soul. And over the, over the years, people have gotten married for a lot of different reasons. But God says, you become one. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 shares God's unfolded mystery in marriage. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 31. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
That's the third time that phrase, the two shall become one flesh. God repeats things that are important. And we saw Jesus repeating that from the book of Genesis. We saw the Apostle Paul repeating it. This is the model for marriage. It's the meaning of marriage. God created it right from the very beginning. And as he created people, he said, this is your purpose in marriage, to be one. And he gives the example of headship. Wives are to submit to their husbands as a picture of the church submitting to Jesus Christ, our head. Husbands are to love their wives unconditionally, sacrificially, as a picture of Christ's love and his sacrifice for the church. Paul ends by saying, So husbands, love your wife as yourself, and wife, respect your husband. I believe that the Bible presents a theology of complementarianism. Men and women complement each other. Not as in, you look nice today, that's compliment with an I. This is why spelling counts, kids. But compliment with an E, compliment that they fit together. And that same relationship is used to describe the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are separate and yet unique. They each have a different purpose, but they are one. Let me share an explanation from the Gospel Coalition website. And I'm just going to summarize some of these things. On our website, where this sermon is found, you can find a link to this article. Complementarian comes from the word complement, which means something that completes or makes perfect, either of two parts or two things needed to complete the whole. They are counterparts. So we believe and we see in Scripture that God created Eve, brought him to his wife, her, ah, sorry, brought Eve to her husband and said, you complement each other. And that view of gender, God creating men and women in his image, male and female are both counterparts reflecting God's glory. Men and women don't physically look like God, but we reflect his character, who he is. And we reflect this complementarian nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one, just as men and women in marriage are one. Having two different sexes helps expand that view so that we can see that God's character is each unique and in distinct ways. But God is one. We worship one God. And so male and female relationships reflect truths about Jesus that are not reflected in male alone or female alone. Women are not inferior. Men are not superior. Men have a responsibility to exercise headship and leadership in their homes, in the church. And Christ revolutionized the definition of what that means. Jesus said authority is not the right to rule, but it's the responsibility to serve. When Jesus came to earth, he had all authority. He said, all authority is given to me, but what did he do? He served. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. He's the head of the church, and we submit to his leadership, but he serves us 
And that's what he calls us to do, men, in that position of authority, of leadership in the family, to serve, not to say, I'm the king of the castle, serve me, but to say, how can I serve you? How can I care for you? How can I love you and provide for you? For women, complementarianism doesn't mean that you have to get married, that you have to have dozens of babies, that you have to become a stay-at-home housewife cleaning toilets, completely forgoing a career, chuck your brain, tolerate abuse, watch Leave it to Beaver reruns, bury your gifts, deny your personality, and bobblehead yes to everything that men say. That is far from what God's Word says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. We see God's design again from creation. It's not a result of the fall. Adam, as the representative of all humanity, willfully sinned. Eve was deceived by Satan. And the sin of the world is not placed on Eve's head. It's placed on Adam's head. He's the one that willfully chose to sin. They were partners, they were companions, they were fellow laborers in the garden. Eve was there as a complement to Adam and as an example for mothers to follow. She had the hope that through her children, a Messiah would be born and all humanity would be saved. We see, I think we're on the next slide, John. No? Nope. Never mind. I just lost my place. Right in the beginning, in the, in the garden after the fall, when the curse was proclaimed, Eve was given hope. Yes, you sinned. Adam, yes, you sinned. Yes, there are going to be consequences to this sin. But Eve, through you, the Messiah will come. She probably didn't understand that yet, but we have in Genesis 3.15 a key verse to the Bible. I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. Between your offspring and her offspring, he, the woman's offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We have a picture of Satan orchestrating Christ's death on the cross but that was just like a bruise to the heel of Jesus because we know he gloriously rose from the dead. Death couldn't contain him. He conquered sin and the grave. And then as we read on through Scripture, we see that Jesus is the one who will destroy Satan. His head, his authority, his power, his control, totally destroyed in the end. And all of this happens through the woman, not through Adam. And that's one of the beauties of the virgin birth. Jesus was born of a human woman. That's what made him human. There was no earthly father involved. 
So Eve had this hope that even in the terrible separation from God, the separation from the relationship with him, that there was hope coming in the future. Today, many people are lumping the Bible in with the bashing of patriarchal abuse. But no religion or culture speaks more highly of women or elevates them to equal footing with men like God's word does. Younger people, younger than me, as you hear what our culture is saying and talking about how the Bible is just filled with terrible examples of men abusing women, yes, there are real-life men who made terrible choices in the Bible. But you'll see from Jesus and from the apostles how they treated women in the early church. Yes, there are unfaithful men, and there are examples of them treating women poorly, but they're exposed as sin, not as God's direction or God's commands. So be careful as you hear the culture bashing God's design for men and women in marriage. Realize that God also said they are equals, they're complements, they're together in marriage, and the two become one. That's God's picture and God's design. So some takeaways for all of us this morning, especially for women The first one is illustrating the gospel. Again, while Eve was deceived by the serpent and she heard about this curse coming on the world, she was given hope of the future. And she was redeemed by God. Not only hope of the Messiah coming someday, but what did God do for Adam and Eve? They hid in the bushes because they were ashamed of their nakedness. They were ashamed of their sin. They were ashamed to stand before this holy and perfect God who loved them and they disobeyed him. The Bible says that Adam and Eve tried to hide their shame. They tried to hide their sin by making their own clothes. But God provided animal skins for them. And in doing so, gave us the illustration of a life being taken to cover sin. Our good works, our own clothing that we could put on are like the emperor's clothes. They leave us still exposed and naked before that holy and perfect God. Nothing we can do ourselves could take away the stain of our sin. But God provided a sacrifice. He provided a sacrifice literally for Adam and Eve so that they could be clothed. But then he provided his own son as the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, giving up his own life sacrificially for yours and for mine. Because otherwise, we would still be lost in our sin. Sin can't be hidden or removed by our own good works. It's only God's way. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't get to make up your own way. You don't get to solve the problem yourself. You look to God and say, thank you. Thank you for providing a way. Forgive me of my sins, God. I accept Christ as my Savior. I accept his sacrifice in my place, doing what I couldn't do. 
So Eve got to be part of that early illustration of the gospel. Women also experience the joy of new life. In Genesis 3.20, Adam renamed the woman. That was his initial name. She's woman because she came from me. That's kind of a a um, male-centered kind of approach to things, right? What beautiful name could I give her? Woman. But it says in 3 verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The mother of all living. What a beautiful name. Even though physical and spiritual death came into God's perfect creation, women are blessed with bringing new life into the world. And part of the curse was that wasn't going to be easy. I think it was still going to be a difficult process, even in perfection. But God said, you're going to struggle with this. But moms and and grandmas, you can attest to the fact that all of those struggles, all of that pain is gone when you hear your baby cry and you hold him or her in your arms. You bring life into the world. God's miracle happens through women. That's a blessing that God gave women. The hope for the future, as I mentioned in Genesis 3.15, the redemption plan for judgment of Satan, judgment of sin, and the fix for this perfect creation, the fix for all of things to be made whole and to be made new again would come through the children of the woman. And that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, And finally, passing faith on to the next generation. In Genesis 4.26, Eve experienced the pain of having a son who was a murderer. The first mother experienced the loss of her second-born child. Those are heartaches that many women carry today in seeing your children go off into difficult lives, making difficult choices. When her third child was born, Seth, she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. She realized, I think that that Messiah, that Savior, wouldn't come through Cain, the murderer, but here's Seth. And the scripture says, to Seth was born a son named Enosh, and at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Eve was there with Adam, walking in the garden, talking to God face to face, fellowshipping with him. And it sure seems like she must have shared that with her kids, just like so many of you have shared your walks with God, with your children. Think of the mothers and grandmothers who are the reason that you're here, men and women. They're often the ones to continue to talk to our children about God, about Jesus Christ, about the importance of knowing Him as Savior. She was likely a big part of sharing God's character with her children and with her children's children. The Bible doesn't tell us when Eve died, but it tells us that Adam and Eve had many more children. Obviously, boys and girls, because we're here today. They continued to have Men and women born 
and married. Adam died, and we know that Eve must have also died, but we don't have her death recorded. She continued to teach her children and her grandchildren how God gave her a second chance, how God redeemed her, how he forgave and covered her sin and gave her the blessing of being a mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother and a great-great-grandmother. She may have lived to see multiple, multiple generations. Scripture tells us that Adam lived for 800 years after Seth was born. So potentially, he and Eve were there experiencing generation after generation and making sure that those generations knew how God brought them into this world, what their purpose is, and showing them the example of how a man and a woman leave their parents. They come together and they become one flesh. Thank you, moms. Thank you, grandmas and great-grandmas. Thank you for sharing your faith with us and continuing to do that. May God bless you on this Mother's Day. Mark's going to come. We're going to close in a song. Let's pray as he's coming. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this glorious day. Thank you for the flowers. Thank you for your new creation, the new life all around us. And thank you especially for our mothers, our grandmothers, our grandmothers, the women that are in our lives that have pointed us to know you as Savior, that have loved us, cared for us, put themselves second, and put their families first. Thank you, God, for those beautiful illustrations, those beautiful living examples of your servant heart. Lord, I ask your blessing on all of the moms that are with us and those that aren't with us today. May grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, his Son, in truth and in love. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.